Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. Happy Easter. If it is your first time here, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor. Appreciate you guys checking us out and giving us an hour of your Easter morning. Today, we are wrapping up this two-week little series that we've been calling This Changes Everything. And what we're doing in this series is we're taking a look at two moments, two events at the end of Jesus' ministry that absolutely changed the way that his followers understood God, the way that they looked at the world, the way that they look at themselves. It, it changed the way they understood history and understood the future. It changed everything. And so today, in celebration of Easter, I want to look at the event known as the resurrection. So let me just say this. I'm a huge Christmas guy, okay? I'll be honest with you. Like, I love the tree. I love the gifts. Who doesn't love the gifts? Um, I love just the music. It's just, and if truth be told, okay, Easter does seem to play second fiddle to Christmas. Like, there's not really any good Easter songs. The Easter bunny is great. It's no Santa, okay? But, right? Okay, but the resurrection is by far the single most important event in human history. It is the culmination of Jesus' ministry. It is the foundation of the Christian faith. Without it, we're going to see today, we have nothing. But with it, we got everything. And yet, many people struggle with the resurrection. Many Christians struggle with the resurrection. Maybe you're here today and you would say, John, you know, that's me. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I love his teachings. But, you know, the resurrection, I just, I don't want to say I don't buy it, but mm, it's a struggle, okay, if I'm just being honest with you. If you're a Christian here today, but you struggle with the resurrection, or if you're someone who is not a Christian, right, but you like the morality of Jesus, you're just not so much into the immortality of Jesus, Today's a great day for you. What I want to do for the next 25 minutes or so is I want to take your doubt, and I get why you have it, okay? I want to take your doubt, I want to flesh it out. I, I want to say, okay, let's just say the resurrection didn't happen. What would that mean for us? What would that mean for the world, for Christians in, in particular? Now to do this, I want to show you where Jesus begins to introduce the idea of the resurrection. We're going to be in Mark, starting in chapter 8, verse 27. Mark tells us, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? Now, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Jesus is like a good attorney. He never asks a question he doesn't already know the answer to. So he knows this answer. He knows what people think about him. He can read people's minds, and he can read their hearts. Jesus is asking this question so that it leads to a more important follow-up question. So the disciples reply. They say, well... Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. These responses are all over the place, okay? They range from John the Baptist, who is Jesus' kind of rock star famous cousin, all the way to Old Testament prophets like Elijah, who were alive hundreds of years earlier. How that all worked out in their mind, I don't know, okay? But this is what people think. Now, what's clear from this response is that the general population really had no idea who Jesus was which is exactly why he then asks the far more important question. He says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? How would you answer this question? Right? Like if I ran up into the audience like Phil Donahue with a microphone, I go, man, 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 how, right? remember when he used to do that? Okay, like how would you answer? And one guy goes, were you even alive back then? Of course, I know Phil Donahue. Okay, what would you say? Based on current polls in America, the average American would answer this question by saying, well, I believe that Jesus was a great teacher. 
I believe he was a, an innovative leader. I mean, he was a wise man. So what would the disciples say? Peter chimes in, speaking on behalf of the 12, and he answers. He goes, well, you're the Messiah. See, Peter knew, number one, that he wasn't John the Baptist. They were two separate people. But he also knew that Jesus was more than a great leader. He was more than a great teacher. He was more than just some miracle worker. Peter knew that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. Here's the problem. Jews at this time, and even to this day, have a, what I'll call, preconceived notion as to what a Messiah would be like. There was a preconceived notion as to what a Messiah would do when that Messiah arrived in the world. And so Jesus here just wants to make sure the disciples don't put him in a box. He wanted to make sure they were prepared for what a Messiah would actually do, not just what they thought or hoped he would do. So Mark says, he told him he'd be killed. And three days later, he would be raised from the dead. Jesus knows what's going to happen to him, okay? He's not unaware of what the future holds. He knows he's going to be killed, and he knows that in the Jewish mind, because he's Jewish, he knows that's a problem, because a dead Messiah was no Messiah. This is going to be a sticking point for his disciples, and so he says, I just want to prepare you. Yes, okay, I am the Messiah, but I'm also going to die. In fact, I'm going to be killed, but don't worry, okay? I'm going to come back to life. Now watch Peter's reaction to this news. It says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I love that. A man is like yelling at Jesus, right? Drags him over. What do you say? Knock it off with the dying coming. These people respect you. You're embarrassing yourself. Well, he says, never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Peter just couldn't wrap his head around this idea that Jesus was going to die and then he would come back to life. And isn't that the case for so many of us as well? Love Jesus, right? Love his teaching. Love your neighbor as your stuff. That's gold, okay? Don't judge others. Ooh, we eat that up, right? The resurrection bit mm, is a little too rich for my taste. Pass on that portion of the Bible. And what ends up happening is we actually try to separate the life and teachings of Jesus from his resurrection. We want to say, I like Jesus, okay? I like the Sermon on the Mount, wonderful. Parables, beautiful. Love his mercy, I love his compassion, I love how he treats the poor, I love how he elevates women in society, but do not expect me to believe in a literal, physical, historical resurrection. In other words, I want to raise up, using an Easter term, I want to raise up the teachings of Jesus, but I want to leave his body in the tomb. I want to elevate and celebrate the morality of Jesus, but I want to leave his body in that grave. That sound like you? I mean, if it does, it's okay. I'm, I'm glad you're here. You're not alone. 2,000 years ago, Paul, this guy who wrote over half of the New Testament, was ministering to a group of Christians who also struggled with the resurrection. And I want to show you what he told them because you might find it helpful. He begins in writing this letter. He goes, if Christ was not raised from the dead, let's just say you're right, Chris. Let's just say Christ was not raised from the dead. Then what we preach, and this word we here, he's referring to the New Testament authors, what we preach to you is worth nothing. He's like, guys, look, listen. If Jesus didn't actually physically, literally, historically raise from the grave, the stuff that you like, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Philippians, and all that stuff, worthless. To which we might say, no, Paul, 
you're too hard. Your stuff is great. I mean, your, your chapter on love, you know, love is patient, love is kind. We use that at our wedding. People love that stuff. Somebody made a pillow with it. It's, you know, it's wonderful. Paul would say, he would say, look, listen, I, thank you. I appreciate the encouragement. I just got to be honest with you. All that love stuff, in fact, everything that you read in the New Testament is rooted in the resurrection. That's the glue. That's the foundation. And so if the resurrection didn't happen, that means the New Testament is worth nothing. And what's more, he would say, your faith is worth nothing. Ooh, it's a little rough, Paul, don't you think? But this makes sense. Because Paul believes that the resurrection is the foundation of your faith. And if that didn't happen, your faith is worth nothing. Now, many think that the Bible is the foundation of the Christian faith, okay? But if the resurrection didn't happen, then what's written in that New Testament is worth nothing. Ipso facto, your faith is worth nothing. More than that, he continues. We, again, speaking of the New Testament authors, are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. He's like, if there was no resurrection, you know what? You shouldn't pay attention to anything we say because we're liars. And we're the worst kind of liars. We lie about God. Because every New Testament author, Paul would say, said, claimed, wrote that God rose Jesus from the grave. And I've gone so far to say that that resurrection power is made available to you. So if the resurrection didn't happen, you know what you should do? He's saying, you know, you should just tear out the Gospels. Just everything we wrote, Matthew, Mark, Luke, just yank it out. Do you know who did something very similar to this? Thomas Jefferson. We now know that during his life, it didn't come out till afterwards, that he created what we call the Jefferson Bible. Here it is. That's his handwriting. This is the frontispiece in the beginning. And it says, the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth, extracted textually from the Gospels in Greek, Latin, French, and English. Thomas Jefferson actually went through the New Testament with a scalpel and sliced out every single miracle of Jesus, including the resurrection. And he kept only the moral teachings. Why? Because he couldn't believe it. And so he got rid of it. And he kept the bits that he liked. Paul would say, Tommy boy, listen, you're a brilliant man, but you can't have one without the other. You can't separate the teachings of Jesus from his resurrection. He continues. He says, if Christ was not raised from the dead, your faith is worth nothing. We've established this. And you are still living in your sins. This is huge. I want to make sure we don't miss this. What he's saying here is that if Jesus didn't actually come back from the grave, then anyone who is a Christian has not been forgiven of their sins, which means you are still separated from God, and you still owe him a debt, one that cannot be repaid. To which we might say, particularly on this kind of a holiday, we go, wait, wait, hold, wait, Paul, didn't Jesus die for our sins? That's what we've been taught. Didn't he die on the cross for the forgiveness of sins? Yes, dot, 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 but Jesus' death on the cross is only one half of the salvation equation. And as Christians, and maybe this is the fault of pastors, I don't really know, but we often put all of the emphasis of our salvation onto the cross. But we neglect, or perhaps fail to see, that if the resurrection didn't actually happen, the cross doesn't matter. See, the, the resurrection proved that Jesus was who he claimed to be. If he died on that cross 
and death held on to Jesus, then he wasn't the Messiah. Because a dead Messiah is no Messiah. See, if Jesus died and stayed dead, his earthly mission would have been a failure. But the resurrection was proof. It was confirmation that God accepted Jesus as that perfect sacrifice, which means our sins have been forgiven. Then Paul kind of shifts a little bit and makes us think about something we hadn't really considered. He goes, okay, hypothetically, if we're going to say the resurrection didn't happen, then in that case, all Christians who have died are lost. And the Greek word that Paul uses here for lost means irretrievably lost. And it's written in a way where he's like, they're just gone. And that hits close to home. I mean, at least it does for me. Because we've all lost people that we love. And as Christians, the only thing that gave us hope, the only thing that got us through that painful loss was the promise that one day you would see your loved ones again in heaven. How many of us cling to this promise? Maybe you lost a parent or a sibling. God forbid you lost a child. But this is the only thing that got us through it. My family's been dealing with a tremendous amount of loss this year. We've lost three family members in 10 months. And my wife said to me this week, she goes, you know, it's scary. You just, you never know when your time is up. I said, I know, I know. But this is why we do what we do on Sundays. Because we never know when the end is here. But we have a guarantee as to what happens afterwards when you have Jesus Christ in your life. Scripture then gives us an amazing promise of what happens in the next life. It says, God will wipe away all the tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, nor pain. All of that is gone forever. But, Paul would say, without the resurrection, this promise, it's not even an option. Because this is only possible because of the resurrection. Which means that if the resurrection didn't actually, literally, historically happen, Then this life, with all the death and the sorrow and the tears and the pain, is as good as it gets. And speaking of this life, Paul says, if our hope is in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone else in the world. In other words, how pitiful it is for a Christian if their gospel has no substance how pitiful it is for a Christian if their faith is meaningless, if, if their New Testament authors are liars, if they haven't been forgiven of their sin. How pitiful if those who died believing in Christ are actually lost forever. How sad. And almost jokingly, to, I think, to release some of the tension, he says, you know, if the dead are not raised, we might as well be like those who say, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Because if Jesus didn't actually come back from the grave, then everything that we do in Jesus' name is a waste of time. Loving your spouse like Christ loved the church, waste. Loving your neighbors yourself, waste. Giving generously, major waste. Should have kept your cash. Volunteering at church, what a joke. You should have slept in. Paul's like, we might as well eat and drink and party it up because nothing matters if Christ was not actually raised. I've been waiting all morning for this but. Today is all about this but. Lives have been changed because of this but. 
right? Death has been defeated because of this but. Downtown Harbor Church exists because of this but. When Paul wrote this but, he used a Greek word that paints this picture that everything that he has said up until this point, all of the dark consequences that would be if the resurrection didn't happen can all be dismissed. You can forget about it all because Christ has indeed been raised from the dead and this changes everything. See, the good news is you don't have to spend the rest of your life with a separation between the cross and the resurrection. You don't have to live in a world where you cling to the teachings and the morals of Jesus, but you only sort of trepidatiously place your faith on that empty tomb. Paul would say we can, we should, we must place all of our faith and all of our weight on that empty tomb because it is out of that tomb that we receive all of our power. Paul says, I passed on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. And how do we know he was actually raised from the dead? How do we know it wasn't just a lie? How do we know it wasn't just a myth? How do we know it wasn't just a metaphor? How do we know it wasn't just his spirit? We know because he was seen with eyeballs by Peter and then by the 12. And after that, he was seen with more eyeballs by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died but are not lost, and we're going to see them again. And then he was seen by James, that's his brother, and later by all of the apostles, and last of all, as though I've been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. He's like, I understand that the resurrection is a hard pill to swallow, that it's difficult to grasp, that you didn't see with your own eyes and you've never seen anything like it since. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Jesus was actually, physically, literally, historically raised from the grave. And if you want proof, go to Jerusalem. Ask these people. I'll give you their address. And you can look at them in the eyes, and they'll tell you with joy in their heart that Christ has come back to life. You know what this means? And if, you know what Easter means if you're a Christian? It means your hope was not in vain. Remember all those prayers that you made? They were not in vain. Your love for others and for God and for Jesus, that was not in vain. Your sacrifice of your time and your talent and your treasure was not in vain. Your conviction to stand up for what is right and just in this world was not in vain. Your service to God was not in vain. And most importantly, your worship was not in vain. Because Jesus Christ rose from the grave, and that changes everything. And this is why we are here today. Because the resurrection is the foundation of our faith. And without it, Paul said, we've got nothing. But with it, we have everything. Paul says, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. It is because of that empty tomb that we've been blessed with a new life in Christ. It is because of that empty tomb that our sins are forgiven. It is because of that empty tomb that we've been released from our past and given a second chance at a new future. And it's because of that resurrection that we've been set free from the power and the sting of sin and death. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? It's your first time here. Every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So today I got two practicals and I'm talking to two different groups of people. 
Now, for those of you who are here today and you're not a Christian, maybe you're researching it, kind of checking things out, maybe somebody brought you here, just, you know, kind of getting a feel for it. Okay. As you begin your spiritual journey, chances are you're going to run into some obstacles along the way. Okay, you're going to run into a Christian who's a jerk, and you're going to be like, oh, this is what it's about. Well, I don't want anything to do with that. It's going to happen. Maybe you hear some Old Testament stories like Adam and Eve or, or Noah's Ark, and you're tempted to think, come on, this is, this, what is this, all fairy tales? I can't, I can't believe this Jesus stuff. Okay. Here's the truth. There's only one question you got to answer. There's only one issue that, that you need to get settled in your mind, and that is this. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Because if he didn't, nothing else matters. That's game over for Christianity. You don't need to research anything else. Put a pin in it. But if he did, that changes everything. That means that there's more to this life than just this life. That means those Bible stories that your grandparents told you all those years ago, you should take them seriously. It means the faith of your parents, for as flawed as they may have been as humans, was real, and it was genuine. It means that God, your heavenly Father, hears your prayers and desires to answer them. It means you can be forgiven. It means you have value. And it means that Christ thought you were worth dying for. So as you consider Christianity, just know that it begins and it ends the resurrection. Now, for those of you in this room who are Christian, I just have one question for you. Are you living a resurrected life, as I'm going to call it? Jesus said that he came into this world so that we may have life and life to the fullest. Are we living that kind of life? Living a resurrected life is seeing every day as a miracle from God to be lived to the fullest. Are you doing that? It's an opportunity to allow our life and our attitudes and, and our outlook to glorify God. Are you doing that? It's an opportunity to serve others, to love others, and to forgive others. And I hope you're doing that. A resurrected life is not bound by shame or fear or regret. All of that was left in the tomb. When Jesus Christ died on that cross and rose from the grave, he declared victory over sin and death. And now we, as his followers, Get the privilege and the honor of living a resurrected life. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, it's in moments like this where it's hard to even articulate our gratitude for what you did. To think, Lord, that at the beginning of time, you set a plan in motion to save us. Jesus, that you gave up the glory of heaven to take on a human form, to be despised, tortured, to be murdered. For us. But Lord, you came back you conquered sin and you set us free from the power of sin and death, Lord, and we are here today to glorify you because of it. You are our king and we thank you 
for what you've done, for what you continue to do, and for what you do in this world. Lord, I pray, Lord, if there's folks here who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I pray today would be the day that they say, I don't understand it all, but I know there's something missing, and I think it might be Jesus. Come into their life, Lord. Change them from the inside out. And now allow them to go out into this world and to change things for your glory. We ask all of this in Jesus' mighty and powerful name.